So last week we started this series. We talked about this inner battle that all of us have, this battle of temptation, this moment, right? When we receive an invitation to give in to our desires, our strong desires. And in that invitation, in that invitation we have two choices. One, we turn towards our heavenly father, towards his light, and not live with shame, with guilt, with stress. Instead, we turn this way. And we, or the other option is we turn this way and we cast a shadow blocking his light on to the temptation as we give into it and we live there. And many times we live with that shame and regret. We live in that place where we give into the shadows constantly over and over and over. And I told you last week a story about me and a blueberry pie. If you remember that story, if not good, forget about that story, please. Um, but it was when I gave into that pie and I felt immediately guilt and, and anxiety and I hid it. I tried to hide it as best as I could, but then it was eventually found out. But here's the good part of what we learned last week is you don't have to live in the shadows. You don't have to give into the temptation. Why? Because our heavenly father always provides a way out. And how comforting is that, that we will always have a way out. We just have to find that way out and make that choice. Now this week, what I wanna talk about is what happens on the other side of that decision. That when you finally give into that decision over and over to step into the shadows and to live into the shadows, because for many of us, that's where we are, where we're stuck in this repetitive cycle, this vicious cycle, where we keep going back to the thing we hate that we do. And then because of that, we hate who we're becoming. And we might say things like, I can't get out. I'm stuck. This feels like a prison. And then we keep giving into it more and more. And then we get to this place where we say, If people were to find out, it would be a mess. It could affect everything in my life. Have you ever been in that situation where you've been found out? Doesn't it feel terrible? You know, maybe when you were a kid, you got caught cheating on a test, or maybe you were caught in a lie. Or like me, when you were a kid, you got caught stealing. So one day, my mom and I were at a gas station. This is when you didn't have to pay at the pump. You could go and pay, you had to go pay inside. I know, I'm old. And so, I was walking out and I stopped by the candy aisle and something got my attention. And you notice how they always put candy down here? So every single kid, as a parent, I'm like, it's so annoying now. But every single kid sees it. So as I'm walking out, I see, ooh, pack of Starburst. I want that. I need that. So as we're leaving, I grabbed it, slipped it in my pocket and kept walking behind my mom. She didn't see me at all. Got into the backseat of our car, We're driving down the road and I just, it was burning a hole in my pocket. I had to have it. So I pull it out. I slowly unwrap it quietly, you know, hoping she, like watching the rearview mirror the whole time. Pop it in my mouth, put it away real quick. Start chewing. Moms have this sixth sense. She goes, what are you eating? I go, swallowed it, nothing, no evidence. Didn't miss a beat. She turns the car around and goes back to the gas station. And my mom has the audacity to walk me back in there, could make me confess what I did, pay with my own money for the Starburst. And then I felt terrible at that moment. I had to apologize to this clerk who's like, what is happening right now? (laughs) And I felt horrible. You ever been there? You ever had that feeling of being found out and you just felt terrible? None of us want that feeling, right? But now that we're older, Being found out actually has repercussions, doesn't it? Versus just paying for some Starburst. It could ruin our lives. It could cause someone to leave us. It could cause us to ruin our family. We could lose our reputation worse. We could lose our career. But my guess is if there was a way to get out, 
you'd want to know, right? You'd want to lean in. You'd want to stop doing what you hate that you do. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what do you do when you can't get out or you feel like you're stuck in this prison and this moment keeps happening over and over and over and you can't resist. And to do that, I want to look at the life of King David. Now, King David, true rags to riches story, right? He starts off as this little shepherd boy, the lowest of the lows. And he shows up at this battlefield between the Philistines and the nation of Israel. And his brothers are there, so he's bringing them some food. So when he shows up, the Philistines have just brought out this giant named Goliath. And Goliath is blaspheming their God. He's making fun of their God. He's saying, where is he? You can't, he can't do anything. And David hears this and goes, hello, why aren't you doing anything about it? And they were all terrified. So if you know the story, what does he do? He steps onto the battlefield, no armor with nothing but a slingshot. And he beats Goliath. He defeats Goliath and he wins. And at that moment, People start paying attention to this little shepherd boy. He rises through the ranks and he ends up becoming the nation of Israel's king. And he leads with such peace. He leads with care. He leads with patience. But then something happens 20 years into his reign. This moment happens where David is faced with a choice that eventually affects his life and his legacy. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel. In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So there would be a ceasefire, a mutual agreement between both sides when winter hit. Because troops would die on the way to the battlefield because of the harsh conditions. So they said, hey, let's wait till the spring and we'll pick this war back up. And there was a mutual agreement. So then at that moment, kings would lead their armies out into the battlefield to resume the war. However, as we see here, David sent Joab in the army. David, at that moment, chose to stay back and do what no other king would choose to do. And so when he does that, he's just by himself at the palace. Most of the rest of the city has gone off to war. Specifically, the men have gone off to war. And so David's by himself. Uh, The Bible describes it as he's just walking around aimlessly. That's literally like what it says when you read the original language. And he's standing outside on his rooftop of his palace, and he sees something that catches his eye and causes him to stop. He sees a woman bathing. Now we don't know why he sees her. Is she on a rooftop? Is is he looking through a specific hole? Like why? We don't know what happens. That doesn't matter. What matters is scripture describes her as a woman of unusual beauty bathing. Okay, listen, listen, stay with me. That was last week's message. Don't get tempted. Bring it back. All right. And he's like, I need to know who this is. I need to find out if I can have her. And so he sends uh, his assistant to go find out who she is. And here's what they find out. She is Bathsheba. There's a joke there, but I won't do it. All right. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, this is a big deal because number one, she's someone's wife, but not just anyone's wife, specifically the wife of Uriah. Uriah was well known by David. In fact, they were tight. They were friends. Uriah was part of David's mighty men. One of the 30 men who was his closest confidants also is their special ops teams. They were like the green berets back then of the Israelite army. And so David knew exactly what it is. So at this moment, you knew the choice he would make. Oh, it's someone's wife. And it's my friend's wife. She's off limits. No, David calls for her and sleeps with her. And back then you do what the kings say. Otherwise you're dead and you're gone and your whole family's ruined. 
So he sleeps with her and then he sends her away and sends her back home as if nothing happened, hoping no one would find out. But then a few days later, a few weeks later, we should say, she finds out and sends word to him that she's pregnant. At that moment, David's freaking out. How do I keep this thing hidden? No one can know. I would lose everything. I would lose my kingdom. I would lose my reputation. This can't happen. No, we've got to, we've got to hide this. So here's what he does. He calls for her husband from the battlefield and says, hey, send Uriah the Hittite back home. Uh, I want to just get a report of the war, right? Hoping he'd go back home to be with his wife. He wines and dines him and he says, hey, Uriah, before you go back to the battlefield, I just want to give you a night off. Just go home, relax, sleep next to your wife and in your bed, and then you can go back home tomorrow. So Uriah goes home. The next morning, David finds out that Uriah never went into his house. He sleeps outside on a mat on the floor. And David is so upset. He calls Uriah back. He goes, why didn't you sleep with your wife? I mean, why didn't you sleep on your bed? And at that moment, David says, I still, this is still going to get out if, if, he doesn't go, if he doesn't go back to home. So here's what he does. He writes a letter, seals it, sends it with Uriah to his commanding officer on the battlefield. And you know what it says? It says, hey, put Uriah the Hittite at the front lines where he could become not a war hero, not someone who leads the charge. No, where he will die. And so the commanding officer follows orders, puts him there. And Uriah the Hittite dies. Word gets back to David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba's mourning. And David, being the good king he is, brings Bathsheba into his house so he can comfort her and make her his own so he can take care of his friend's wife. Bullet, dodge, crisis averted. Right? Wrong, David. Here's what happens next. We're going to pick up in chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. But one day, A guest arrived at the home of the rich man. And instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Everyone gasped at hearing this story who's listening to it. And David would respond, probably the same way we would respond. Here's how David responds. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. So Nathan shows up, tells David and his whole court this story. And David's so upset. This man should die. This man should repay everything. What he's done is horrible. The rich man should never have stolen that from the poor man. Nathan looks at David straight in the eyes. And he says this. He says, Ata Ish. It was so bad, we couldn't put it in English. It was that bad. Just kidding. Just kidding. He looks at David and he says, you are that man. At that moment, David was called out. You see, David was all alone with no accountability, a man of great power. And it said, instead of using that power for the good of others, 
he chooses to use it for himself. And he, and he is the rich man in the story who steals from a poor man he steals his wife. And then he goes to great lengths to cover it up so much so that he kills her husband. Not just any husband, his friend's husband. That's how he was, that's what he was dealing with. That's why he wanted to cover up what was hiding in the shadows. And then the results, the results are terrible. He loses his reputation. He doesn't get to build God's temple. He leaves a legacy of pain. In fact, his, da- his son rapes his daughter. And then the other sons rise a coup and try to overthrow the throne. Okay, this isn't Temptation Island. This isn't The Bachelor. This is the Bible. You need to read it. It is so good. All right, it is so good. But David, he wanted to keep hidden what he had done. Now, most of us, most of us won't get to that point, I hope, right? That's extreme. But it is a cautionary tale of what could happen when you keep things hidden, when you keep living in the shadows, So essentially what I'm trying to say is unhealthy things, they grow in the dark. When you keep things in the shadows, unhealthy things, they grow in the dark. They get more powerful. They get stronger. You keep them hidden so they don't come out. And that's why you're saying things like, I can't resist anymore. I can't stop. I'm stuck. There seems to be no way out. And of course you can't let it out because as soon as you do, people would find out who you are and it would change their view of who who you are. But the longer you keep it in the shadows, the stronger and stronger it becomes where you might end up doing something you thought you would never, ever do. For example, if I were to say cheating on your taxes leads to robbing a bank, you'd be like, that's ridiculous, Raul. It is. That's dumb. That hopefully will never happen. But you know what could happen is it'll start leading to little compromises all along the way and your character starts being chiseled away, and your conscience starts being reduced, and then Enron happens, which is how it started, right? I know, silly, but that's how it started. So for you, it might be, oh, we're only on first base. We're just kissing on the bed. Our feet are still on the floor. Um, or it might be, I'm, you're, I'm just mindlessly scrolling. What I'm looking at and what I'm listening to, it doesn't affect me. It could even be you're reading romance novels. Not bad, but you keep focusing on them, and it creates this longing this desire to do what they're doing in those novels or to have that kind of life. Do you see where I'm going with this? Have you heard of the term garbage in, garbage out? That's that's essentially what I'm saying. Like if you're watching shows and you don't want anyone else to know and you keep hiding them from those people, that's a sign that what's happening in the dark is unhealthy. And the more you leave it there, the stronger it'll grow. Betting on a game, a quick bet on a game, buying a lottery ticket, not a big deal. But that dopamine hit could keep you going back for more and more and more. And there's a reason there's Gamblers Anonymous because it tears apart families. And this is why unhealthy things grow in the dark. Scientists have actually coined a term for this of what happens in your brain. And it's called neuroplasticity. At its most basic level, what this means is it's your brain's ability to change. This is fascinating how God designed our brains. You see, when you learn to ride a bike, your brain didn't just chat GPT the instructions and just logically process how to ride a bike. No, your brain literally physically changed itself so that it can learn how it can ride a bike. And so it's like Play-Doh. It morphs itself to, 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 to respond to the outside forces that are causing you to find the experience you want to have. So let me explain. When you engage in an activity, essentially our brains alter themselves so that you'll be better at more efficient at that activity. And what develops in your brain are these things called neural pathways. 
It's this deep rut that happens in your brain where you get better at something. It's the reason many of us can probably still ride a bike even though we haven't ridden it since our childhood or since we were a student. And so the more we engage in this activity, the stronger the pathway gets associated with that activity, specifically a pleasurable one. And you become, you get more focused on it and you get better at it. And that's why God designed our brains that way. If there's something you want to get better at, if there's something you want to grow in, it repeated action and intense focus causes you to do that, to develop that spirit, that neural rut, that neural pathway. That's good, right? But the dark side of this is the same thing happens for unhealthy things, for things that are addictive in nature. The more you focus on those things, the more it gets stronger. The more you desire it, the stronger it gets, the deeper that neural pathway gets. And so that what ends up happening in the shadows gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's why those unhealthy temptations that you hide from people, that you don't tell other people, they're so addictive. And you you say things like, I'm in a prison. There is no way out. And then eventually, the problem with that is what happens in the shadows doesn't stay in the shadows. It eventually comes out into the real world. Let's take pornography for an example. It starts as simple, like just looking at pictures, but then the desire grows where you start looking at videos. And then you start looking at it more often and you can't satisfy that desire. And then you might even start looking at things you can't believe you're looking at a thought you would never look at. And eventually it spills out into your relationships. It causes maybe you and your spouse to not be intimate anymore because you want them to act the way they're act, you're viewing. It might, cause you, um, your, it might cause you to objectify people, all the people around you. It might affect your relationships. And it definitely does this. It creates commitment issues. And that's what happens with your brains and the way God is on our brains is to focus on that, that neural pathway that develops deeper and deeper and deeper. And then eventually it spills out into the real world. Some of you have been there. Some, some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been found out. And now because of it, you're rebuilding because you've lost everything. You've lost your scholarship, your family, maybe your career. Or maybe some of you are on the opposite side of that where it's affected your, you and your family, but it was because someone else kept something hidden in the shadows and was found out and it came out. And now you're no longer a family. Or you no longer have a career because that business went out of business. Or even you're trying to rebuild uh, maybe your finances or even your reputation because of what happened. And it all happens because either you or someone you know chose to conceal, to hide, to hide in the shadows. And what happens is the longer you conceal, you stop feeling. When you conceal, you don't feel. You get stuck. You push the feelings down, these feelings of guilt, of shame, of that imposter syndrome we talked about last week. And you stop trying to move forward because you're done. You give up. This is also why I'm so annoyed with the movie Frozen. All right. Frozen 2, I love. But Frozen 1, conceal, don't feel. I'm not the best parent, but the whole movie, I'm like, those are terrible parents, right? Conceal, don't feel. Why would you do that to your daughter? Like you lock Elsa in a room and say, don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. Hide. No, like that's not how it works. And then eventually what happens? So much pain, so much suffering. The whole town gets frozen over. And she's like singing a song about conceal, don't feel. Like she's all reliving her childhood trauma. And that's what happens with conceal, don't feel. And it's actually a paradox. The more you conceal, the stronger and stronger it gets. Maybe I just need to go to therapy about this. I don't know. Like, (laughs) or, or, Or what if we looked at Elsa as a prime example of this, right? What if 
we, she was stuck in a prison cell with no way out. That's what happened to Elsa. And so because of that, she said, conceal, don't feel. And then because of that, conceal, don't heal is what happened to her. And that's what happens to us. We, we're not able to heal. As long as we keep things in the shadows, we can't heal because there's no way out. We don't see a way out and we just try and hide more and more. So instead, the answer, the answer is actually to reveal, to bring to the light, to bring whatever you're hiding in the darkness out into the light because light cures everything, right? If you grow plants, you know that you, they need sunlight to kill the disease that happens overnight. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Mold and fungus grows in the dark, but as soon as you bring it out to light, it dies and it loses its power. Children, children need sunlight. They need to go touch grass every once in a while because we all need sunlight, right? And so we've got to not conceal. We've got to reveal. But what does that look like? How do we bring this out? Well, here's the good part. Solomon in Proverbs gives us some hope and helps us a little bit with this. He says this, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. Uh, And that word prosper essentially saying they won't grow. They won't move forward. They won't be profitable. They'll feel stuck. But instead, he says the way out is this. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. See, Solomon is saying, if anyone who conceals will be stuck in their life, they will not become who they want to become and who God has called them to be. Instead, the way out is to confess and to turn because there you find mercy. And that mercy means forgiveness and healing. So what does that actually look like? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice what he's saying. We're going to turn to our neighbor and confess our deepest, darkest sins. Go. Just kidding. I did that last week. It made us all cringe. I just cringed as well. All right. Don't do that, please. But that is something we need to pay attention to is what does confession look like? Now, when you hear the word confession, many of us might think we need to go to a priest or we need to come to me, your pastor, and confess our sins. That's actually not what it's talking about. The first person we need to go to is to God. We need to go straight to God and confess. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this, this is the exact first place you have to go because that's what Jesus did for us. He died for our sins, past, present, and future, and made a way so we can go straight to our heavenly father. We go straight to him to confess. In fact, John puts it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's the thing. The reason we have to go to God first is because we've separated our relationship from him. Now, that doesn't mean we're no longer a follower of Jesus. It's not like God left us. What happened is God stayed there. We moved away. We stepped away. It's the reason you can't feel God or hear God the longer you live in the shadows. But when you confess to him, it brings you back to him and you restore that relationship. Now, confessing your sin doesn't actually give you forgiveness. You've already received that. When you confess to God, it actually reminds you that he's already forgiven you and he loves you and doesn't look at you with disdain. So here's what this looks like. You're gonna go to God and actually I would tell you to put yourself in a humble posture and do it on your knees. And I know that's a little extreme, but if you wanna get out of the shadows, it, just, it doesn't change anything. It just helps you get into that posture and you'll say, God, forgive me that I've blanked. I've sinned, I've done whatever it is and be specific. Call out the sin of what you've done and allow him to restore you back to a relationship with him. And here's why this is so important. Because that's the starting process that gives you the strength that he can only give you and the courage that only he can give you to do what's next. Because this next part 
That's the easy part. The rest of what I'm going to tell you is extremely hard. Because see, once you confess to God, the next person you need to confess to is the one you hurt or the people you've hurt. Don't stick with me. I know I'm probably about to lose some of you. Stick with me. You've got to do this. This is so imperative for forgiveness and for healing and for receiving that mercy. Your goal is to go to the people or the person you hurt and just say, I'm sorry. And that's it. And don't expect anything else from them. You might receive forgiveness. You might not. There's always consequences to our sin. You might receive anger. You might receive hate. There will be repercussions, but let me tell you, it is so worth it. It is so worth it to go to that person and get it out into the light because the benefits far outweigh the consequences, right? It might bring you and your spouse back together again. It might restore that, fr- that uh, family or that friend who you've been at strife with. It might even help you help your work, your coworkers and your working environment because you're no longer walking on eggshells around each other. It restores it. And that's the benefit of confessing to others. That really brings it out into the light, Right? And here's the deal, side note. If you're on the receiving end of this and someone's coming to you, give them some grace. I'm not saying you have to even forgive them. I'm not saying you have to be happy with them and be fake it till you, that's not what I'm saying. That's a whole nother message and that will take a whole nother message. But just show them some grace. And if you're a follower of Jesus, just remember, God forgave you of everything past, present, and future. And so because we've been forgiven, Let's forgive. Let's show that person some grace. That takes a lot of courage to step out of the shadows and come into light. And if they're telling you that, that's a big deal. Again, you don't have to be happy with them, but you can help them. You can walk with them or you can point them in the right direction. So the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna confess to God and we're gonna confess to others. But then the next thing we're gonna do, because confessing is enough, he says we need to turn. And this word turn means it's similar to the word repent. Uh, If you've heard that word before, repent means you're headed in a a direction and you realize it's the wrong direction. So you you feel sorrowful and you say, I'm sorry. And then you turn in the direction and you make a change in your ways. Growing up, my mom had this bumper sticker on her car and it said, if you're headed in the wrong direction and then below it in big letters, God allows U-turns. So cheesy, but so true. It's exactly what this is saying, what Solomon is telling us. And so we need to turn. We need to put a, have a change in our direction. And there's a couple ways we can do this. The first place, we need to make a change in our environment, a change in your environment. There's always this moment that leads to regret, right? And in this moment is the invitation to step into the shadows or step into the light. When you make a change in your environment, you're actually starting at the moment that leads to the moment that leads to regret. So, so here, what does this look like? How do you change your moment? How, you, how do you eliminate this moment or how do you change this environment? For some of you, you might not need to be alone in your house or you might need, not need to be alone in your bedroom in your house or you might not need to be alone with that person in your house, specifically in the bedroom, right? Some of you, it's, it's your phone. Our phones are great. They're great tools, but they cause problems, don't they? So you might just throw it, just throw it across the room charge it in another room that you sleep in, right? Some of us might need to get rid of our smartphone and get a dumb flip phone, right? I know that's extreme. Raul, you're crazy. Do you want to get out of the shadows? Are you worried about ruining your life? Are you worried about the repercussions? I'm telling you, you need to change your environment. Some of us might need to change where we go in our free time. If going, if you have a problem with alcohol, don't go to the bar. 
If, if, going, if you go to the gym and see too much skin, don't go to the gym. Work out at home. Bust out the wee fit. Whatever you need to do, change your environment, right? If you're like me, skip the ice cream aisle at the grocery store. Every time I go down the ice cream aisle at the grocery store, I'm just like, yoink, yoink, yes, please. Instead, go down the toilet paper aisle. You can't get in trouble at the toilet paper aisle. Just saying, right? You've got to change your, you've got to make a change. So once we've changed our environment, the second thing we need to do change your circle. Peer pressure, we talked a lot about it during middle school, right? But let's be honest, does it ever really go away? Not really. Many of us, we need to change who we hang out with. We need to change our circle because we're trying to keep up with them. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses. The Joneses could be your neighbors, could be your coworkers, could be Joanna Gaines, like whoever. It could be any of those people. And you find yourself trying to keep up by buying the expensive clothes, buying the boat, buying the truck, buying the shoes, right? Stuff like that. You might be that person who's like, I keep trying to keep up and now you're entering into financial ruin and it's affecting your family. Some of us need to change our circle. If you've got drinking buddies, you've got gambling buddies, you've got buddies you gossip with, because every time you get together, you talk about those people. You're like, give me the tea, right? If, if that's the case, if there's people you vacation with, that causes you to leave with regret every time, you, you need to change your circle. Instead, what if we got a circle that involved either a group of guys or a group of ladies and we held each other accountable and we do what James talks about. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. So confess, there it is, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You might receive that fullness that Jesus talks about. Maybe healed, you receive that mercy, that forgiveness. And what does that look like? It's a thing where you can text each other at any moment or they'll show up at any moment or you'll show up for them at any moment when they're about to give into something or to keep stepping back into the shadows. Because you see, here's the deal. Saying something, saying you're sorry and confessing is easy. Making a change in your life is so hard. But the problem is if we don't, we can say one thing, but our body makes us do something, right? We've got to change those, those neural pathways to fight against our minds. So after you've changed your environment, you've changed your circle, the last thing you need to change is your thinking. Change your thinking. What I want you to do to change your thinking is to stop thinking short-term. Stop thinking now. Stop thinking, what can I, how, what can I do to please myself now? Instead, start thinking for the long run, for the long term. Basically, ask yourself this question. What decisions am I making right now that are going to ruin me long term? What little compromises am I making? What am I hiding in the shadows that is going to affect my future to who I want to become? Because you see that, if you don't, that kind of thinking keeps developing that neural pathway and you can't get out because it gets so deep. And that place leads to a place you don't want to be. Paul, the apostle Paul in Romans says it this way. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, literal separation from yourself, from God, and from other people like we talked about last week. But letting the spirit control your mind, there it is. It leads to life, that full life Jesus talks about, and peace, that place where you don't have to worry about being found out. You don't have to keep hiding. You don't have to walk on eggshells around everybody. You don't have to live with that stress, with anxiety, that, that feeling of shame and guilt. No, you can have peace knowing you're making the right choices. Because see, that's what happens. When you start letting the spirit control your mind, it, it, it removes and diminishes slowly that neural pathway of giving into the shadows over and over. And it creates a new one. One where the spirit leads you. One where you feel good about who you're becoming. One who you become who God wants you to become. 
And the way you do that is by coming to church, reading your Bible, praying, um, all those things you've heard before, having a group of people who point you to Jesus. It's all those things is what helps you. And then when you start focusing on that more and more, you start making better decisions, decisions to be different. So when you're faced with that invitation, with that choice, you say, hey guys, I'm not gonna go in there with you. You guys go in or you go do that thing and I'm gonna wait here. Uh, Just call me when you're done. And when that happens, you'll feel good about it. Now they might be worried what's going on. And if you explain why and they accept you and still believe in you, then that's a good friend group. You don't have to change that circle because you want people who are gonna point you to Jesus or respect the decisions you're making because here's the deal. You can't do this on your own. We've tried. You can't will yourself into this, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't even be having a whole message on this. No, instead, you've got to let the spirit lead your mind to control your mind so you make better decisions with fewer regrets. So here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember confessing, confessing to God and to others and turning, changing your environment, your circle, and your thinking. That's what brings forgiveness and healing. And the more you do that, the more you focus on that, the better you'll become and the more you'll focus on what the spirit wants you to do. If you came to me and we were talking about this and we were sitting across from each other at a coffee shop, here's the last thing I would tell you. This is gonna be hard. This is not easy. It will be a struggle. You're literally warring against your own mind. But let me tell you, give yourself some grace. The goal is progress, not perfection. Jesus never called us to be perfect. That's why he exists. But the thing I want you to remember is it's gonna be hard. And you're gonna lose something on the way. You're gonna have to sacrifice something. But let me tell you, if you choose to do this, you won't lose everything. And it's worth it. It's worth it. You'll be able to live with yourself again, knowing that you aren't hiding anything and knowing that you have people in your life who are gonna hold you accountable and to help you. And most importantly, you'll know that your heavenly father is with you and he loves you and he cares for you and he is not angry with you. And even if you've blown up your life and you're here today, here's what I wanna tell you. You're never too far gone for God to use you. You're never too far. There's nothing God can't redeem. You see, David, David was still called a man after God's own heart after all this. And he is still in the lineage of Christ. He wasn't written out of the story. So you won't be either. So let's be a group of people who choose to no longer live in the shadows. Let's be a group of people who choose to step out into the light, okay? And let's help others do the same. So we've got some resources for you to help you. Uh, it's at hamiltonmillchurch.org shadows. And that website has a Bible reading plan to help you start thinking the way the spirit wants you to start thinking. It's got some lock screens to help you not give into temptation, but also it's got two other tiles I really wanted to point out. Number one, uh, it's got a towel that talks about counseling referrals. For some of us, we need help. We need to sit down with somebody who can help us. And then the other towel is mental health resources. Some of us, we're so addicted and we don't see a way out. These resources can really, really help you. 
And there's also a box on that uh, website that has you ask questions. If there's questions that I didn't answer in this series that you wish I would have answered, I want to hear from you. So, and we might post them back on social media. Something to keep this message going to help you remove and get out of the shadows. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are so good and you love us. And it blows my mind the way you've designed our brains to help us. But yet we know there's a dark side. And we know there's an unhealthy side that we hide things in the dark over and over. And that's when they grow stronger and stronger. But most importantly, Lord, you know that there's, you give us a way out. And that's because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can find that way out every single time. So Lord, help us. Help us find that way out. Help us know that we don't have to ever give in because you love us too much to leave us where we are. So help us do that every single time to find that way out. And it's all because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. In his mighty name we pray, amen.